Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. After two years, Jesus has been working, depending on your chronology, And yet, Herod now just hears? It may have been because the Lord never came there, and it may have been that because he was up at Machaerus much of the time, or because he lived in an ivory tower. Might be that the Jewish people just didn't want him to know what was going on in their lives. Might have been that he was too consumed with his own luxurious living and his decadence, and all the rest of it that he never bothered over any such kind of petty matters. Finally, he hears the fame of Jesus, and after the Lord has been out ministering, he's trained the twelve, they're out ministering, they're doing marvelous things, now the fame is spreading rapidly, the hostility is growing, and in conjunction, finally, things come to his attention, and his reaction is very startling. Verse 2, And said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work at him. So now, this is a great concern to him because he's murdered John the Baptist. And there's a tremendous guilt for murdering John. And that morbid kind of guilt that's kind of adding to this amazing curiosity it brought him to the conviction that this was John the Baptist raised from the dead. Now, if you compare the other accounts, Luke chapter 9, chapter 9 verse 7, by the way, it says, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by the Lord. He was perplexed because it was said that some, that John was risen from the dead, and some others said Elijah had appeared, and some others, one of the prophets was risen from the dead. So at first, he gets that kind of a report. The same kind of report, remember in Matthew 16, when Jesus asked the disciples, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, or you're Elijah, or some one of the prophets. But all of this is coming into him. And he doesn't know what it is. And by the time this goes on, and as he thinks it through, and as the word keeps coming, he sees the similarities between Jesus and John. And he assumes that John has been raised from the dead. And what his fearful guilt, that fearful kind of guilty conscience that would conjure this up in his thinking. And that's what I want us to consider. Herod says in Luke 9 and 9, John I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Although he was truly afraid. There's really kind of a morbid curiosity that he wants to see Jesus to confirm and to verify if this Jesus was really John the Baptist. 
raised. He wanted to see if his fear was legitimate. And he settles it. Matthew shows us on the fact that he says John the Baptist, in verse 2, that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. So that's a very important indication. It tells us that John had done some mighty works. It says, and therefore these powers are at work in him. So we recognize that John had done some things. Remember, in Luke chapter 1, if he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, as Luke 1 says that John would come in the spirit and power of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah was a miraculous power. Elijah was one of those men of the Old Testament who was given power to do miraculous things. We've been studying in our Old Testament survey and saw how he prayed and God sent down fire from heaven on a couple of occasions. So it's not without a convincing argument that John the Baptist may well have been able to do much the same. That he also was able to do miraculous things. The scripture doesn't tell us. It just tells us that he came in that spirit and power of Elijah. Now when Herod hears that Jesus has the same type of miraculous kind of power that he knew was demonstrated in John, he's assured in his mind that this guilty conscience that John is back from the dead and his curiosity demands that he finds out for sure. So now in verse 3 we have the recount. It goes back. And it says, and it recounts the murder of, for Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Let's stop right there. So here's the next character, John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, that great, holy, righteous man of God. Herod even said of him, and he knew that. It was obvious. Jesus had said of John, Of them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That's found in Matthew 11, 11. It indicates there that he was the greatest man that had ever lived. The greatest prophet who had ever prophesied. A marvelous man. Incredible. The forerunner of the Messiah. Remember, he threw Mary and Elizabeth, as it were, were cousins. And this man's job was to announce Messiah, to introduce Christ into the world. And in Luke 1 it says that he would be great in the sight of the Lord, that he would drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He would turn many of the hearts of the people to the Lord their God. And he did. And when he came, his message was very clear. Repent! Repent. And what does repentance suppose? It presupposes their sin. It presupposes there's something that we need to turn from, right? So John the Baptist is a confronter. And he called people to confess their sins. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, it says that he was there and he was coming and calling the people and asking them to confess their sins. And then he would baptize them as a symbol of their desire for spiritual cleansing, of their repentance. It showed forth what they had already done. He confronted sin, and he called with a strong message of holiness. So the whole country was being prepared for Messiah, who would bring forth this kingdom. The multitudes responded to his message. Now in contrast to this man of God, we have Herod. 
We've already talked about his kind of biographical data, but I want to say a little bit about his character. He was a descendant of Esau, ruling the sons of Jacob, and that already put him in a terrible position. But he was evil. He was debauched. He's shameless. But he's also very much henpecked. He's pushed around by an overbearing woman, and he's given to all excesses. He was troubled, to be sure, in his conscience, but he refused to obey. And John the Baptist, little doubt, really disturbed him. Because John just told it exactly as it was. So here is a man with a tremendous popularity. And here's a man to whom the multitudes of people are moving. Josephus, that Jewish historian, tells us that Herod Antipas was really nervous about John. And he writes, Now when many others came in crowds about him, for they were greatly moved by hearing his words, Herod who feared, lest the great influence of John had over the people might be put into his power and inclination to raise a rebellion. He thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause. That's what the historians say. Just put him to death. So he puts John in prison, like it says in verse 3, and behind all of this is his wife, Herodias. She's pushing the issue. By the way, in Macarius, that was a huge palace. It was fortified by Herod the Great, it incorporated the summer palace as well as a fortress. And the archaeologists have dug it up and have found places where wood and metal could have been implanted in some of the dungeons below. And that's where they believe that John was there for a year, chained to the dungeon wall. So now we meet Herodias in verse 3. And it introduces Herodias as his brother Philip's wife. Interesting how the Spirit of God puts the words in this place. Now, Herodias was one of the worst people of the Bible. She's really wretched, as you're going to see. She is not designated as Herod's wife, but she's married to him. And so the Bible says that she was his brother Philip's wife. And it's because the Holy Spirit refuses to recognize the marriage to Herod. Why? Because John, in verse 4... John the Baptist said what the Holy Spirit felt. It's unlawful for him to be married to her. God just wasn't going to recognize it. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on LandmarkStockton, all one word, dot com. Or you can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. Now, the facts are kind of mind-boggling. So hang on here. The plot really thickens. This <laughs> Herod Antipas is married king by the name of Rattus. Now, he was a king to the, uh, to the south, and what we're speaking of, south of the Dead Sea, which called the Nabataean Arabia. In the Nabataean Arabia, that was where Paul went. Remember when he went away into Arabia, and he was silent while God was preparing him? Nabataean Arabia had a king named Aretas, and Aretas had a daughter, and Herod marries the daughter. 
Herod also has a brother named Philip. Now Philip isn't Philip the Tetrarch. This is another Philip. Remember I said they're different brothers, same father. I don't want to confuse you. This is another Philip. He's not a ruler. He is a citizen in Rome. And Herod goes to Rome to visit his brother Philip because Philip's a private citizen. He doesn't have any place to rule. Some historians say that it was because of treachery on part of their mother that he wasn't allowed to rule. But Herod goes on a trip to see his brother. And while he's there, he seduces Philip's wife, Herodias. She responds positively to the seduction. And they've decided, why don't you divorce Philip and come and be my wife and I'll divorce the daughter of Aretius. And when all of that is cleared up, we'll consummate a marriage. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I don't want this to get too complicated, but Herodias was the daughter of another brother, Herod. So he's one of the sons of Herod the Great. Philip is another son of Herod the Great. There's another son of Herod the Great who has a daughter named Herodias. What am I saying? I'm saying this is incest. I'm saying that he's ended up marrying his brother's daughter. So there's so much there that can confuse us. But Philip and the other Philip, the Tetrarch and Herod Antipas, were just one generation from the loins of Herod the Great. And Herodias is two generations. So she marries her uncle. By the way... She has another brother named Herod Agrippa. That's the one of Acts 12 that's eaten by worms. What am I saying? I'm saying this is one messed up family. This is one family that's all kinds of incest, and that's putting it nicely. They've decided to go on through their divorces and come into marriage. Now, John the Baptist confronts the situation. Some believe that Herod maybe was trying to get a stamp of approval by John to help him with the Jews in the area because so many people, and they were irate over this illegitimate marriage. And that was because Aradius of the south was so upset, he comes in and he destroys Herod's army. Except that the Romans save Herod, he would have also been destroyed. So the Jews see this whole thing as an evil, evil thing of what's coming about. And it's devastated. And they believe that punishment is coming. And so Herod goes to John and he wants John's stamp of approval. And what does John say? (laughs) That's Philip's wife. It is not lawful for you to have been divorced and remarried. Even though they went through all the steps. Now they're married. Herod and Herodias. And by the time we come on the scene, there's another Philip. The brother of Herod, he dies. He's the one that's ruling in Ituria, the northern area. And Herodias wants that area. She wants to be queen. And she pushes Herod to go and to talk to Caligula. And say, hey, make me a king. And he him haws around. He fools around. He's trying to talk her out of it, but he can't handle her. So he goes to Rome with his tail between his legs. He makes the trip to Rome. He's going to ask if he could be king so that Herodias could be queen. Now, if we jump ahead, the other brother, Agrippa, who doesn't like Herod at all. So Agrippa sends a faster messenger to Caligula. And he tells Caligula that he has a rebellion in his heart, that Herod Antipas is really planning a rebellion. And all of that is a ruse. When Antipas comes in 
and asked to be made king, Caligula already believes that there is a revolution, a rebellion in his mind. And so the emperor takes away his throne and Herod, Antipas, and Herodias are exiled. Now that's in the future. But back to this woman. Back to the woman that we see in Matthew chapter 14 verse 4. Because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. That is Herodias. She had been seduced. The wretchedness that all of this is brought to John's attention. And he comes before Herod and he is bold with a man who could take his life. He doesn't mince words. It's not lawful. It's an ungodly, sinful union. Now that's what confronting an issue head on, he didn't say, oh great king, we want to minister to you. We just want to show you the love of God. He says, it's wrong. What are you doing? There is a great word here. This is the mark of greatness. There's a mark of prophetic greatness there. The mark of the man of God fearlessly confronting the sins of men, even though his life could have been in the hands of that one. When there's sin and to be confronted, and they confront it, Jesus didn't piddle around with the leaders of the world. John didn't mess around either. They held your life in their hands, but that's okay because they said, I'm God's man. Christ confronted it, Stephen confronted it, John did, the Apostle Paul, Peter, John the Baptist, and it's all the only right thing to do. The only right thing. A.T. Robertson said it like this, that great Baptist preacher of old. said it cost John, cost him his head, but it's better to have a head like John the Baptist and lose it than to have an ordinary head and keep it. You know, it's dangerous when you have an eastern despot like Herod, and you can imagine today if you went before some Arabian king, that same kind of culture, John had signed his death warrant. But he was in the hands of God. And verse 5 says, And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. They feared the multitude. This guy lives by fear. He fears his wife. He fears the throne that John the Baptist might take it, but he's afraid to kill him because he's afraid of the people. So he's paralyzed. Do you see where, where we're going with all of this with fear? He's afraid of everything, so he just keeps John in prison just to buy time. But an interesting thing happens. He is there and he likes John. He's fascinated by John. In Mark 6 and 20 it says, Herod feared John because the word is that he was in awe of him. He knew he was a righteous man, a holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and he heard him gladly. He was responding to John. He was listening. But Herodias was seething. Here is an immoral woman of infidelity, of vice. She's vindictive. She's nursing her wrath. Her wrath is at a boiling point. She wants revenge. She wants John condemned. She wanted him to put to death. She becomes so incensed with anger and fury that she would stain her child with guilt beyond description. That introduces us to the last character. Verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. The Jews used to look on birthdays as a pagan thing. That was what the pagans did. After the writings of Solomon, they celebrated the day of one's death rather than the day of one's birth because we are born upward to sorrows and heartaches. 
And in fact, there was a phrase called Herodias Deus in Latin. It means Herod's birthday. And it was in the Roman time, in the Roman peoples, that they had stag birthday parties. All the men came. They were stag parties, gluttonous, they were drunken brawls. And then it was climaxed by women that came in and danced immoral, lewd, seductive dances. And the whole thing became an origin. That's Herod's birthday. So it was at Herod's birthday in verse 6. The daughter of Herodias, and Josephus tells us her name is Salome. She danced before them. She pleased Herod. Herodias has all of this plan. She knows what's going to happen. She knows that Herod's going to get drunk. He's going to be filled up with all that he could eat. And then it's time when he's really vulnerable. And that's the time when the dancing girls, the immoral, suggestive, shameless women would come in with their lewd dances. And she sends her daughter. Imagine. And it pleased Herod. He fell into lust and lewdness. Became a lecturing, leering, vile, drunken slop. I think you know what's taking place here. There are many men that I've met in prison of the same offense. And verse 7 tells us, Therefore he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. He's suckered in. He's drunken. He's gluttonous. He's been sucked in this sexual seduction. He's lost all of his dignity. He's lost all sensibility. And verse, or verse 8, And she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on the platter. Here. Do it now. Herod is afraid of all of those that he's made this boastful claim, and rather than saying, wait a minute, that's immoral, that's, that's wrong, that's too much, I didn't promise you that. Instead of saying that, there's no reason to say that because he's morally impotent, he's witless, he's a weak fool, but he is filled with his own pride, and he's afraid of his wife, he's afraid of John the Baptist, there's fear of the people, and it's filled his cup with iniquity. And as Congre once said, Hell has no fury like a woman's scorn. So she gets her way. She gets her way. Verse 9 is an interesting statement. The king was sorry. He was trapped. He knew it. But it was his pride. It wouldn't let him do the right thing. Pilate also later, remember, was trying to let Jesus go. But their pride, because they said, you'll be no friend of Caesar. And he was afraid of losing his name and a reputation and throne. And he killed the Son of God. God come in the flesh. So does this man kill the messenger of God for fear of losing faith. For the oak's sake, it said. For the sake of them who sat dining with him, he commanded it to be given to her, and he sent and he beheaded John the Baptist. Cut off his head, silently, privately. In the depth of a dungeon, John the Baptist is murdered. And Herodias had an ancestor, by the way, of Alexander Junius. And historians tell us that at one time there had been a rebellion. About 800 rebels were brought in and they were crucified. And while they were still alive being crucified at this big feast, he brings in their wives and children to slaughter them before those being crucified. It was a debauched world. It was a terrible world. Broadus writes, When the dish was brought in with a bleeding head on it, no doubt she took it daintily in her hands lest a drop of it should stain her. And she tripped away to her mother as if bearing some choice dish of food from the king's table. 
It was not uncommon to bring the head of one who had been slain to the person who ordered it as a sure proof that the command had been obeyed. That's the extent of the rejection, the fear. He was afraid to lose his throne. He was afraid of John. He was afraid of his wife. He was afraid of the people around him. And under that intimidation, he damned his soul to a devil's hell forever. After a year of imprisonment, John is dead, but his work is done. He's gone as a faithful man to meet his beautiful reward. He was uncompromising, a true prophet of God. No compromise in his life. Let's close out with verse 12. Then the disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. What a beautiful ending to an ugly scene. They buried this man that they loved. They buried him. And then they go and tell Jesus. A lovely note that's given there. Jesus would have wanted to know. For John was so beloved. And then verse 13, it's most interesting because when Jesus heard, what does he do? He departs there by boat into a desert place privately. We can stop right there. Luke tells us that his disciples were with him. They were all alone. Somebody might have suggested that he was trying to get away from Herod, and that's not it. It was because... Here's the climax to the whole thing. Herod wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see if John the Baptist had risen from the dead. And Jesus sends him one note and he calls him the you fox. You want to see me? You will not be able to kill me like you did John the Baptist until my work is over. Pilate did not know what to do with Jesus. Here's the trial, the mock trial. But I believe that here's the point where Jesus wanted to get his disciples away. He wanted to get them away because he knew, just like John had died, Christ was about to die. Stephen would be put to death. All of the twelve apostles, save John, would be martyred. And we can go through our history and see the lives of those because they wanted to follow after the Lord. And I believe that verse 13, that Jesus wanted to take the twelve and prepare them to count the cost. Prepare them for what was going to happen. It's interesting because at the trial of Jesus, Herod gets that opportunity because Pilate doesn't know what to do. He sends him to Herod, but he answered him nothing. Never said one word. The chief priests, the scribes, they stood and vehemently accused Jesus. And Herod with his men of war treated him with contempt. They mocked him and they arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. That same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends. There used to be odds at one another. They used to hate each other. Now they become friends. You know how? Common mockery of the Son of God. They're two very tragic men. Listen, Herod rejected Christ, and Christ rejected Herod. Why? Because it was hard, stony ground. For fear of a woman, for fear of a reputation, for fear of his peers, for fear of his throne, he damns his soul forever. John the Baptist lost his head, but he lives forever in the presence of God. Listen, Christ wants to reveal himself to you. But if you're proudly holding on to your reputation for fear of what others might think, for fear of the attitude and the actions that others might reject you, for fear of the loss of your reputation, the loss of face, for intimidation of evil people, Have you forfeited Christ? Have you damned your soul to a devil's hell?
If you reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is no hope. There is no hope. Without Christ as Lord and Savior, there's a devil's hell prepared. There'll be a lot of religious people there. It's not only going to be for men like Hitler and Stalin and mass murderers. It will be a place for lots of people that have rejected Jesus Christ. Person, just like Herod, don't reject Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.